Hello, and welcome to the Three Links Oddcast, your podcast for all things having to do with Odd Fellowship. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome, everyone, to the Three Links Oddcast. I'm one of your hosts, Toby Hansen. I'm one of your other hosts, Ainsley Heilick, and we are joined today with our third host, Christopher McHale. Always batting clean up and always pleased to be here. Wonderful. I would like to give special thanks to our sponsors, Pig and the Pug. Uh, They make tremendously wonderful bath stuff, and they're based in the Bitterroot Mountains of Montana. So check them out. Facebook, Etsy, you'll hear all that stuff during the commercial later on in the show. Excellent. Thank you so much, brother. Well, we've got quite the cavalcade of an episode lined up for you. We are joined with the hosts of the Half Ask podcast from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you folks and let you introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Jude. I'm Pete. I'm Brett. Welcome. Thank you for joining <laughs> us here on the Sailing <laughs> Sodcast. Well, thanks so- for having us. So give us a little bit of uh, biographical background, a little bit about each of you personally, uh, and then how you got into podcasting, and then tell us a little bit about your particular podcast. My name's Pete. I am Judy's son-in-law and cousins with Brittany. Well, cousin-in-law also. Um, I like, I'm a geocacher. do that as much as I can. I have two little boys and they take up most of my time. So I don't go to your crashing that much. (laughs) (laughs) Kids are good Um, for that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely keeping me busy. Uh, I'm Jude. I am Pete's mother-in-law and, um, Brixen's aunt. Um, I wanted to do a podcast. So we kind of like were talking with several family members everyone wanted to be on the podcast and then it just kind of whittled down where people's schedules weren't meeting up. And that's how you get the three of us. I think we had like, we were like at six people, six or seven. Yeah. We were going to cycle each other out. And then it ended up just us being like the the three solo people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Um, always good to have some extra hosts standing by, uh, especially for kind of a conversational podcast. We have a fourth host who couldn't be here tonight because uh, brother Sergio, uh, he's in Los Angeles and he's celebrating his father's birthday today. So uh, happy birthday to Papa Sergio. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, we brought another host on board because we figured out that with all of the challenges of scheduling, it was good to have another person to step up to the microphone. So we've just recently added Christopher as a full producing partner here on our show. And speaking of shows, what exactly is it that you do on your show? All right. Well, so first we, we so our, our name is half-assed um, because we kind of just have look up questions. Like we don't, we just look all, up stuff on the internet like and don't really fully fully believe some of the stuff that we find but we'll like pick a random topic look into it and then cover it for that week right we kind of like want to to motivate people to look up these things on them themselves um we don't come off as like a know-it-all kind of like we're, we're the expert in this subject we want people to kind of look this stuff up and, and get interested in it 
And we also want them to feel like they're just listening in with other family members. Like we're just sitting at our table talking with us about things. Yeah, don't write your college papers based on what you heard on our podcast. (laughs) I mean, we we do try to be factual, but we know that we probably aren't 100%. Yeah, it's coming from the internet. Could have been written by an eight-year-old or a professor. Don't know. Yeah. And then we evolved into adding trivia in. So like every other week we would actually have like a trivia account. So we actually have an, another person that does do, uh, does contribute. Um, his name is Ty, but he does like the producing and usually, um, he does our editing. Yeah. And does like the, the game show host position of um, the trivia. He works oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> it, it is fun. Yeah. So it seems that you're definitely, it seems like you found your way to the odd fellow somehow and did the research, as you said, how, mm-hmm. so how, how, like, what was the, the, the flashpoint that helped you first find out about the odd fellows to even start going down the wormhole? I believe it was, um, I am big into genealogy and I was researching my great grandfather in Ohio. Um, and I was reading his obituary. I think it was like 1890. Um, and it said he was an odd fellow. And I thought, what is an odd fellow? And <laughs> that's how it got on our list of things to look up and subjects. And the more we looked into it, the more we liked the group. We we're like, why haven't we ever heard of this group before? This is amazing. Um, and then just a few weeks ago, I was visiting graveside of my great great grandfather on my mother's side, and I found a uh, placard. It it was like pushed down into flowers, and it said um, it, it had the three links. I almost had a heart attack. I was like, what is this? <laughs> and it said one 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 seven. I don't know what it said. I think at the top it says one zero. O-F or 10 of? I'm not sure. I have the music here. I, I can tell you what music. that stands for. I bet you can. I would love to hear it. So, <laughs> it is the International... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it actually stands for Independent Order of Odd Fellows. Okay. One of the oh. first things uh, for anyone who joins the Odd Fellows is you get confronted by a regular word salad of all of these acronyms. Now, if you've been a member for a few years, like I, I've been a member for 21 years now, you get so used to the acronyms, you don't even think about it anymore. But you start out and you you see this constant barrage of I-O-O-F, F-L-T, uh, L-E-A, um, R-E-A, and it just... It's like, we have tons of acronyms. E-D-D-G-M. <laughs> yes. <laughs> P-G-M, P-G-P. And all of this stuff has meaning in the Odd Fellows. But uh, one of the first misconceptions that usually comes up is that people see I-O-O-F and they mistake it for being 100 feet or they mistake <laughs> it for being international because a lot of groups have international in their name. We are international, but uh, we call ourselves the Independent Order of Odd Fellows because we separated from the Manchester Unity of Odd Fellows back in England once we got going here in North America. 
So that's the first thing is that people will find the three link symbol or they'll find IOOF. Maybe an old building downtown has got IOOF up on the, the pediment or maybe up at the very top of the building. Uh, and they'll go, 100F, what is that? <laughs> and so that's, that's how a lot of people discover that the Odd Fellows were a thing. Mm-hmm. And like I was like, 10 <laughs> so <you> what? <laughs> do you guys have it set up that if I Google 100F, it'll say, no, you're looking for independent. No, that would but probably I, be a good thing to start hashtag, and I might have to take yeah. you up on that. Yeah, <laughs> we might have to refer that to our Sovereign Grand Lodge webmaster. <laughs> People probably Google it. Mm-hmm. Are we allowed to know what so, FLT means? Yes, you are. It stands for the three principles of odd fellow odd fellowship, which are friendship, love, and truth. I love that. Mm-hmm. Cause that's on this, this grave marker. And I was like, Oh, well then we can this. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Every different fraternal order had kind of their own, uh, internal mythology, I guess you could call it. Um, and signs and symbols and acronyms that go along with it. So, for example, the Fraternal Order of Eagles, um, members who get buried and want some memorial of their eagle membership on a tombstone, it would say F-O-E, or maybe give the number of the area that they belong to. Well, since the Oddfellows traditionally were in the business of running cemeteries, there are a lot of Oddfellows burials that include the Oddfellow symbolism. So you'll see the three links, you'll see IOOF, you'll see FLT, um, sometimes the name and number of the lodge that a member belonged to, sometimes the heart with a hand in it, that's one of our symbols that ends up on gravestones a lot. Um, so we, we have a lot of these symbols, which were really common as a means of communicating. Zod Fellowship started out as a mutual aid society for common laborers. It was not for the what we would now think of as white-collar professionals. That tended to be more of the higher-end fraternal orders like Freemasons, Elks, etc., the Oddfellows was for the common laborers, and that's where the name comes from. Another question that comes up is, well, how did you get the name Oddfellows? Well, we don't know for sure because there's no historical record of it. There are a whole bunch of cool stories that have been made up, you know, from the the workers on Solomon's Temple were jealous of the stonemasons having their own guild, so they got together and formed their own guild. Uh, that's a very derivative story. Um, some date it back to the Roman legions, saying that um, they made a pact to take care of each other, and so Odd Fellowship came from that. The most likely explanation for the name is that it was a bunch of people of odd and assorted trades who got together for mutual aid. And so rather than naming themselves after their particular trade, because they were from a bunch of different trades, they just said, well, we're odd fellows. We're fellows of different crafts. So that's kind of the, the pragmatic unexciting explanation. Personally, I I kind of like it. I, like I kind it. of like yeah. the Roman Legion story. 
They're any, all cool. Any story with Roman yeah. legions and it's good. I, I, I don't know. I find like, I relate more to being called an odd fellow though. <laughs> I've always felt like I was an odd fellow. <laughs> My whole life. So I love the <laughs> A lot of people who have been joining recently, and by recently, uh, I mean just this year and part of last year, they have been looking for a sense of community. The pandemic kind of shut people off from a lot of the normal community things that happened. And so people were looking around going, what can I join to give me a sense of belonging to something meaningful? A lot of people have been finding the Odd Fellows, which we think is fantastic. Now, mm-hmm. Ainsley, I believe you just had an initiation at your lodge, didn't you? Yes, yes, we did. Um, so we had our first initiation that was long overdue in the you know probably couple years thanks to COVID. So we initiated seven new members on Saturday, and of that seven, only one was male. Wow. wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That would that, initiate make, makes me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> well, tell me, tell us about it. Like, yeah, they're running across hot coals. I don't know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what about the idea of being initiated makes you nervous? It makes me think of a fraternity, like hazing or something. I don't know. And I know it's not, but I, I don't know. That's one of the interesting things about uh, any kind of fraternal order. Now, if you look at the history of Odd Fellowship, because we were a mutual benefit organization, um, we had to have a way to keep members secret so that you couldn't just show up, claim to be a member, and get benefits from your lodge. Because lodge members paid into the lodge fund, And then they could draw things like sick pay, unemployment pay, um, Mm -hmm. death benefits for a surviving spouse. You know, they got benefits from the lodge. So the secrecy and the idea of being initiated and working your way through the degrees was a means of protecting the lodge against fraud. So nowadays, we've seen so many depictions in the media of these kind of ridiculous prank-like hazing rituals uh, mm-hmm. that a lot of people are like, oh, no, I, I don't want to be initiated. You're, you're not going to yeah. blindfold me and lead me into this room full of strangers. They think it's the Illuminati or some eyes wide shut mm-hmm. scene that's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We we looked into the skull and bones one too, where they had to like go and steal people's skulls, like (laughs) supposedly, allegedly, allegedly, (laughs) allegedly. (laughs) I don't. Um, Who knows? I feel like they did it. Yeah. Well, I can't. They can't confirm nor deny. Right there. You know, there was another podcast um, that you folks might have heard of called the Secret Societies podcast. They haven't put out any new episodes during the pandemic, but they did a two-part series on the Odd Fellows, and about two-thirds of it was very factual and very accurate. The last third of their series on the Odd Fellows was just laughably ridiculous because it was wild speculation. And so, as a secret society, we always have the challenge of... How do we keep the secret stuff secret so it remains meaningful to the members? 
yet also let the public know that we are not some crazy international conspiracy that's making millions of dollars and secretly running world governments. Because trust me, we aren't. <laughs> if if we were, I would have a lot more hair. <laughs> it's the, the shredded carrot jello casserole conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> of like... 1962. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys were, were looking into the Odd Fellows, what were some of your sources of information? Now, this is really valuable to us as members because we're always trying to gauge how it is the public looks at us and, more importantly, how they find out about us. So how did you find out about us for your podcast? I have, I think, the same answer as... Brittany, and that is Ainsley, told us about it. What? Oh, I watched a video with Ainsley. Oh. That's the first on YouTube. The first video I watched on the Odd what? Fellows was Ainsley. I did. I did watch YouTube, but it wasn't Ainsley. Oh, Ainsley. forget what I said. But I, I found <laughs> Ainsley's video. Awesome. Um, yeah, from what I remember, um, you had just bought the lodge and you found some memorabilia. Mm -hmm. um, and you were like researching it and you're like, that sounds awesome. And you uh, kind of revived your chapter, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was the, the news, uh, the one where I was on the news. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Fantastic. <laughs> I thought that you saw that too. How cool that you're here. Like, yeah. You're both here. <laughs> so whenever I saw him, I saw his face up there, I was like, oh, I know a celebrity. <laughs> he was on the news. <laughs> Um, I saw like an older gentleman and he was going through like a, a, a ch chest of drawers and like to describe the different levels, like how you have to gain or like, like come to terms with the first level to, to be able to move on to the next. It was like death, I think was the first. Yeah. And I was like, oh my I gosh, I would fit in here perfectly. <laughs> I fit in that box. <laughs> <laughs> you are tiny, but I <laughs> 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 Yeah, that was uh, one of Louis' videos uh, that I think he recorded that one at the session in British Columbia. Oh, neat. I think. And just so you folks know, uh, Louis, uh, brother Louis Blake Sarmiento, uh, he's a wonderful scholar of Odd Fellowship in the Philippines. And he's done quite a bit to introduce Odd Fellowship over there and do a lot to promote it. In the last 20 years, I think they've added 36 lodges in the Philippines now. Wow. wow. Yeah, wow. it's, it's interesting phenomenal. because Odd Fellowship, for being something, uh, the independent order is based in North America. We're based in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. But a lot of the growth has been international. Uh, the Philippines have been an amazing hotbed of Odd Fellowship. There are so many just incredible, hardworking Odd Fellows in the Philippines. It's mind-blowing. But we've also, in the last couple years, opened lodges. And correct me if I miss any, Ainsley. Uh, we opened one in Brazil. Mm -hmm. We opened one in Ghana. And mm -hmm. we just opened one in Beirut, Lebanon. And I wow. saw, I think the Philippines are working with a group that's going to open one in, I think, Dubai, maybe. Somewhere in the Middle Neat. East. Dubai, that would be nice. I think it's Dubai. I could be, I, I saw it the other day. I could be totally wrong on the nation. For some reason, Dubai stands out, though. 
So can you guys visit the other chapters? Can you just like go and travel and visit? Oh, that's Absolutely. so cool. <laughs> That's part of the uh, like the fun secret society aspect of um, of the order is they give you things like a, a membership card and there's like a grip and a password and a traveling password. So we could technically drop in at any lodge in the world, including the the parent organization in England and as long as we present present the correct credentials to them, then we're admitted entrance into the lodge. And historically that was very useful for people when they were traveling, if they were trying to find new work and those lodges would help them either get set up for the night or find a new job. If they're just moving to that town or if they're traveling and something happened to them and they got hurt and they needed assistance, then that lodge would help them. And then they would take their card and then telegraph back to their home lodge and kind of deep, deep back and forth with the code that's on the back of the member card, which is still on the back of the some of the membership <laughs> cards. We still have the telegraph cipher. Um, they would make sure they would double check to make sure that that member was in good standing and had all their dues paid up. And as long as they double checked and everything was was good, then they would take care of uh, that person as one of their own. That is so freaking cool. That, that is, is so cool. So if you went, if you went to the one and. Ghana, mm-hmm. would you um, would you like stay at a member's house or do they like have some hammock set up in the basement that you guys sleep in? <laughs> it probably depends on the location. Um, I know that, uh, for example, um, the lodge they built in the Philippines does have like a small kind of like a I don't want to call it an apartment and I don't want to call it a hotel room, but there's like a like a spare room, I think, for traveling members to stay at. Um in my personal lodge situation, because I live here, of course people could stay here. <laughs> but <laughs> like I'm sure couch. other members would absolutely like let somebody like stay on the couch or, you know, assist with putting them up for the night at, you know, whatever local hotel, motel holiday inn they got. And I, I've actually done that before. Um, when I go visit the lodge here in Washington state, we have a lodge on Orcas Island, which is up in the San Juan islands, which is a a fairly remote place because you have to take a ferry boat to get there from the mainland. And so it's not unusual for lodge brothers to offer to let me stay at their house overnight since they are on an island and everybody is used to that kind of hospitality. That's a, a really normal thing. Now, Christopher, you and I are going to be leaving in about a week and a half here. We're going to Boise, Idaho, because the Grand Lodge of Idaho is going to be rededicating their Oddfellows Museum. And down in the basement of their museum building, they actually have some bedrooms down there so that traveling members from around the state will have a place to stay when they're in town on business. And I've taken advantage of that in the past when I've been traveling through Boise. And I know that there there are a few other places that do that. Uh, The new Grand Lodge office uh, for California that's in San Jose in the old lodge hall, they have some bedrooms there. I know that uh, Michael Greensiger, their grandmaster and a friend of the show, uh, he stays there overnight when he has meetings on Saturday morning so he doesn't have to drive down there on Saturdays. So 
Sometimes you can actually stay uh, with members. Sometimes the halls are set up to have guests. Uh, that's kind of more the exception than the rule, though. Usually, uh, you'll have a lot of fellowship at the hall, at the meeting, and maybe social events before or after, and then you'll go somewhere else to stay the night. Gotcha. That's fair. So you said an Oddfellows Museum. Is that open to the public, or is it just for you guys? Well, there are actually several museums uh, around in different jurisdictions, because each basically each state is its own organization with a few exceptions. Like in Canada, all of the uh, Atlantic provinces form their own jurisdiction because they're all pretty small individually. Uh, but Christopher, um, you can actually speak to this some, cause I know that mm. when you were in Montana, you started the collection there that became the Montana odd fellows museum. That is correct. Um, there, there is a sprinkling of, of people that have taken the initiative and kind of put together, uh, you know, viewable collections. I know that the one that's in Boise is a particularly large collection and also one that, um, has kind of been advertised as a, Hey, come here and visit kind of thing. Whereas a lot of lodges just tend to have large collections of stuff that they've put together. And it's more for lodge members to look at than the general public. You know, it's also like kind of a niche market, finding the general public that would be interested in looking at hundreds and of pins and ribbons. Like, Ooh, this is from 1912. <laughs> um, you know, like you're, it, it's difficult to impress people, but, you know, you put together a nice, nice enough co collection of anything and people will, will flock there, you know? Well, yeah, I, luckily I you mentioned that. that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, luckily okay. you guys mentioned museums because we do have on our website, there is um, under the history tab, there is a map of all the Oddfellow museums oh, yeah. and museums that have sizable collections of either fraternal or Oddfellow uh, specific items. So if you do want to, see if there's anything near uh, um, nearby you guys. I mean, I'm sure the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania has a pretty nice collection themselves. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably um, the Kanawa. They have a museum down there too, uh, Morgantown, right? Yeah, in West Virginia. Yeah. Oh yeah, Morgantown's really close. Mm. I, have yeah. to say, I love museums. I will definitely be going. <laughs> I, I love any kind of museum I can go to. I always try to learn. <laughs> well, luckily in, in Pittsburgh, um, you're very fortunate because Pennsylvania has a lot of really active Oddfellows Lodges. It's one of the largest jurisdictions remaining. There's some jurisdictions that have become quite small. For example, uh, I mentioned Christopher and I are going to Idaho. They only have 15 lodges left in their entire state. Uh, here in Washington, we've got 27 right now um pennsylvania though you guys have got uh what 50 or more i think uh i probably should have asked justin bailey before we uh got on here for the podcast but pennsylvania has a very very strong tradition of odd fellowship uh, and there are actually some active lodges in and around the pittsburgh area might I just say that you guys are really like killing it on the keeping it secret. Like, <laughs> I tell people yeah. all the time that we've we secret societyed ourselves to death. I was going to say at one point it was on purpose and now it's more accidental. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it used I don't know. 
it used like, to be can... that every town would pretty much have an odd fellows lodge and the big cities would have a lodge in every neighborhood and it was just kind of a known part of the community that if you need help you can join the odd fellows lodge and you can contribute to others and you can get help yourself um you know that's our our creed is to visit the sick relieve the distressed bury the dead and educate the orphan we used to actively do all of those things you know we would take up collections in lodge for a special relief of a member who was in trouble um you know a lot of uh paying for widows and orphans of members who had died at work or died some other way unfortunately and were unable to care for their families we also used to run a lot of cemeteries uh, where members could get very reasonably priced affordable burials so we did all of these community service things at one time which made us essential to the community so we didn't really have to advertise because people just knew they knew that this was an essential part of the community it's not that way anymore <laughs> <laughs> I um so I, I I can point out like Freemasons buildings. I can point out like um, Elks lodges everywhere. But I have I don't think I've ever even seen an Oddfellows building. Do you guys have a sign outside that says Oddfellows? Well, you think you'd have at least a mark, right? Like well, they probably do, but you weren't looking for it. Mm. Mm. Be on the lookout. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the lodge, since it was mostly intended for members. It wasn't the kind of thing where we were trying to be ostentatious. Like you mentioned the Masons, you can always find Masonic buildings. They are usually really impressive uh, because Masonry tries hard to put on a very impressive look for the community. And so, you know, there are a lot of very ornate buildings, you know, and because Masonry uses a lot of symbolism from antiquity you'll have corinthian columns on the front of masonic halls or you'll have very fancy dedicated architecture and then the the more social fraternal orders like elks and moose and eagles they want members to be able to find them easily so they can come in and socialize so those are usually pretty easy to find but when it comes to the odd fellows we did not need to be so easy to find. So the clues are very subtle. You might see IOOF up at the top of a building, or you might see uh, a lighted sign uh, with one of the symbols on it, like the three links or the heart in hand or something like that. And so we were not very overt about marking things. Now, one of the side effects of that is as lodges have given up their charters and gone away, Many of those buildings have been converted into restaurants, nightclubs, bars, ice cream parlors, uh, any number of other sort of public spaces. And so now there are all kinds of Oddfellows Coffee Shop, Oddfellows Grill, Oddfellows Nightclub, Oddfellows Ice Cream Parlor. And so if you search on the internet, you'll, you'll run into all this stuff and you'll think, why are the Oddfellows making ice cream in New York City? <laughs> never even thought about it. Do you go to one of these places? No, but I've seen like the names, like the, like different like um, places that have odd fellows in their name. And I never put two and two together. I just thought that they liked the name too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Like, it is catchy, you know? Like... Well, and who doesn't like to think of themselves as being just a little bit odd? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the difference is that we have membership cards to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> so Judy's been hiding where she got her information this whole time. Yeah. What about you, Jude? Where did you find out about this? I'm not sure. I know that I have them in my notes, but I don't have my notes here in front of me. But I can send them to you. Once that I find them. She's still hiding it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I also watched a documentary. I want to say it was on PBS, but it probably wasn't. But it seemed like that sort of quality. Like it seemed like a pretty good documentary. Um, where I got a was that also on YouTube? It was on YouTube. Yeah. I mainly watch, I, for, for our episodes, I mainly just watch everything from YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said, like, mm-hmm. some of the stuff is not kind of believable at least for my aspect mm-hmm. i just jump mm-hmm. it's it's fun to like watch mm-hmm. <laughs> i try how i research is i try to do like i'll watch one thing and then i'll try to read like six or seven and then i'll try to figure out like okay these four things were said in these different locations so these four things are probably true mm-hmm. and then i try to go with those but they might not be accurate yeah and documentaries on like stream and like a bunch of different just anything I can find. Even Prime Video has good documentaries sometimes, mm-hmm. but not for you guys. Sorry, I just watch everything for you guys on, on YouTube. <laughs> there, there is an amazing lack of media material about Odd Fellowship because we have fallen so far from public consciousness. Usually, anybody who knows anything about the Odd Fellows is somehow connected to them. Uh, and even we've done a lot of guest spots on Masonic podcasts as Masons run into Oddfellow stuff and say, this all looks very familiar, but it's different somehow. What is this? And so they have Ainsley or myself come on their podcast and talk about Odd Fellowship because they, the structure of having a lodge is common to most all fraternal orders, whether it's something more on the social scale like the Elks or the Moose, where they have their own bar and restaurant and clubs and things like that. They also have a lodge component where you've got a presiding officer, a secretary, a treasurer, a couple of trustees to kind of look after things long term. So those elements of fraternalism are common to pretty much every fraternal order. So we frequently get Masons who look stuff up and say, Odd Fellows, what is this? This looks familiar, but it's different. They're wearing collars, whereas we're wearing aprons. So we get some of that, and then occasionally Odd Fellowship will pop up other places in pop culture. There have been a couple (laughs) episodes of American Pickers where... They go and they, they find a bunch of old Oddfellows robes and regalia and lodge furniture and jewels and stuff like that. And, you know, then Mike is out there trying to buy it for pennies on the dollar. Well, that's one way to tell people that Oddfellows still kind of exist, but, <laughs> you know, showing us... Or we, or we end up on Peaky Blinders as oh. one of the nefarious <laughs> real estate organizations. <laughs> Hmm. Oh, I just started to rewatch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Blinders, I think about like guys... a season three, they start Shit. talking about the odd fellows as section D or something like that. And 
it doesn't ever really get into any detail other than whispers and murmurs, but it, it doesn't, it definitely doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy is that you, you guys said that uh, normally we'll have a connection and then that's how you know if the odd fellas and we have a connection in our family and we had no idea that you guys mm-hmm. existed. And I have it on both sides of my family and didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's how a lot of people find out about it is by doing family research and they find something or they have a box of like great uncle John's cufflinks or something. And you're like, what's this ring in here? My favorite is the family members who find the old swords. No swords here. We, (laughs) We have a branch of odd fellowship called the patriarchs militant, which is, It's something that came about after the Civil War. There were a lot of Civil War veterans who liked military stuff and parades and things. And so they organized a unit of Odd Fellowship with military uniforms that did parades. They acted as color guards. Uh, And so there were full, beautiful military dress uniforms complete with swords. And these are ornately engraved presentation swords. These are not something you would take to the Ren Fair or anything. Mm-hmm. So frequently what will happen is someone will run across family members' belongings and, oh, here's a great-grandpa Carl's sword, uh, and it's got all these acronyms on it and these symbols, and it's all engraved, and I don't know what it means. And they poke around, and they they come to the Odd Fellows that way. Uh, I actually have uh, about four of those swords here at my house right now because uh, people find out I'm an odd fellow and they they give me this stuff that they find. There's always I had this sword that I found. I think it was an odd fellows thing. You want it? <laughs> ah, okay, I'll take it. Well, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you can start your own museum. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually have a very nice collection here in Washington State, and it is open to the public. And I've actually donated some of my stuff because occasionally. Uh, I find things that are very historic that go up for sale on eBay. eBay has become a way that a lot of people find out about Odd Fellowship because they will see an old collar or they'll see an old fez or some jewel that somebody wore and they won't really know anything about it. And so they'll put it up on eBay for sale. Uh, And a lot of interesting stuff will come up for sale on eBay. And if it's something I'm particularly interested in, I will buy it and then donate it to our local museum. How did you learn about the Oddfellows? I actually got into the Oddfellows by collecting weird stuff. Um, so I kind of did the the weird backwards way to get there. Um, I have always been kind of interested in the bizarre, I guess is a good word to, to say. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I had known about Odd Fellowship for a long time. Um, a, a few years back, I had found myself living in Montana and I found a local Odd Fellows Lodge. And for some reason, the time was right. And there I was. So I, I joined and it's it's been a it's been a ride. We'll just say that. <laughs> and Ainsley, how about you? Well, um, like you mentioned earlier, um, I had purchased the building that had upstairs was once a former well it was a former odd fellows lodge and the odd fellows had built the building in the late 1800s like 1892 and found a bunch of collars up in the crawl space and was just 
I got, I got bit, I got bit by the bug and it, it bit me hard. And yeah, it's like, I feel like, like with anything in my life, like this, like it, it, it's basically like that. Like I don't pick the things I'm obsessed with. They pick me and I don't have any choice in the matter. I just have to go along for the ride. And so this is one of those things that it just kind of, it picked me and I instantly knew this is, this is it. This is the thing. And so, yeah, I started, started the lodge back up again and just kind of dove in head first. And it's, it's definitely been an adventure and yeah, it's, it's taught me a lot as to be a better person as well. So did you buy the building to live in it? Was that your yeah. intention? Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like a, um, definitely like a weird setup that probably some people would either love or some people would hate. <laughs> so the front half of the upstairs is my apartment where I live. The back half of the upstairs is the lodge. And then the downstairs is the tattoo studio. So there will be days where I don't even have to leave the building. <laughs> but wow. it's a it's a it's a decent sized building so there's plenty of room to spread out in but yeah it's it's like being in a it's like being in a giant old wooden ship <laughs> <laughs> on the sea like of the green prairie of central illinois <laughs> mm-hmm. well, i was born in illinois though so. where are you all right I was. Huh. what part of illinois chicago ah, okay. chicago mm-hmm. oh, i need that <laughs> You've been there once? Yeah, I was like, I was like first grade, maybe. Oh, wow. I don't remember anything. <laughs> I've so changed planes there. at O'Hare. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be I flying out of there on uh, Monday. <laughs> so for I me, cards in a hotel room in Chicago. I know that for <laughs> sure. <laughs> My introduction to Odd Fellowship came uh, just after I graduated college. Uh, I went to Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle and got a music degree. And uh, I graduated in 1998. And that summer, a friend of mine had a a meeting with a local arts person uh, who was on a couple local boards, and he was a music director. And he says, hey, Toby, why don't you come to this meeting? So I did, and uh, I went to the meeting, and there I met Brother Vern Eck. Vern was a a fantastic musician, a really inspirational guy, uh, and just a wonderful, wonderful builder of community. And so I had this business meeting with him, and at the end of the meeting, he says, you know, I think you would be a good member of a group that I belong to. And I said, oh, what group is that? He says, well, I belong to the Oddfellows. And I said, Odd Fellows, what's that? He said, well, it's a fraternal order, and uh, we do various things. He, he went through and he talked about it a little bit. The thing that I was most interested in at the time is the lodge in Seattle owns a very nice building. And Seattle is the kind of city where there's been a whole lot of new growth, but particularly at that time, there were very few community spaces. So not a lot of places where you could have community meetings and groups could organize and get together and do things. And being a musician, I was always concerned about rehearsal and performance space. So I thought, hey, if I join the Oddfellows, maybe I can get in and use their building. So uh, I fill out my application. I gave it to Brother Vern. Now, that was 1998. I did not actually get to join until 2000. So I waited a little over two years to join because Brother Vern 
Although he lived and worked in Seattle, he didn't actually belong to the lodge there. And so it took him a couple of years to finally make it across town to the lodge and deposit my application with the lodge. Oh. So after two years, they called me up and they said, uh, hello, is this Tobias? Yeah. Said, oh, this is John Michael from the Oddfellows Lodge. I have this application from two years ago. Uh, do you still want to join? I says, absolutely. I've been waiting two years for you to call. I've been outside this whole time. Yeah. I said, <laughs> uh, didn't you hear me knocking on the door? <laughs> so yeah, it, it took me a couple years to join, but then once I went to the lodge, I was initiated, and that night uh, I got a whole new community of people around me in the lodge who called me brother, who said, hey, you're one of us now, and you're doing something really meaningful. After that, I was hooked, and I, I've been a member now for 21 years. That's so funny that you said that you went to school for music, because earlier, whenever you were like, I feel bad about my setup. I was like, I feel like you look like a professional music person. Like, I feel like <laughs> so good. I, I do. You can see the music stand in the background there. And I, mm -hmm. I've got my accordion sitting over here and keyboard is over here. And I, yeah, I, I do recordings and uh, even performances sometimes from the studio here, but it is a working studio. So there's stuff all over the place. There's microphones and headphones and all kinds of gear strewn around, but it's a shame yeah. that you keep your gold records in the living room. That would be a really <laughs> nice opportunity for you to show them. That's that's right. The gold records. I, I hope to win one day. Yeah. <laughs> you just well, use them as coasters, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I've got a match set of eight, so either coasters <laughs> or salad plates. <laughs> Well, this would be a good opportunity to hear a word from our sponsors, Pig and Pug Bath Stuff. We're going to do that and then be right back with some more Odd Fellows conversation with the Half-Assed Podcast. Hi. You know the crazy lady outside the coffee shop? The one who screams at everyone who walks by about how the Church of Scientology controls the price of avocados. Well, can you remember how she smells? If you're using store-bought soaps, that's probably how you smell right now. I know what you're thinking. Is this why my last girlfriend left me? Well, that's a complex issue that maybe we'll get into some other time. Where was I? Oh yes, pig in a pug. Founded in the year 1981, they have been supplying soaps, candles, and assorted bath products the world over, basically since Moses wore short pants. Not only do I record the commercials, but I'm also one of the converted. Their sandalwood hot-processed soaps have made my scaly lizard-like skin feel silky like the finest mashed potatoes that you've ever had. For listeners of this podcast, and this podcast only, Pig and a Pug have extended to you a special 24% off coupon to be used on Etsy. Just use the code THANKYOU24 at checkout and you're on your way. Look them up on Facebook, Instagram, and Etsy. Also, select retail merchants. Pig and a Pug, Pig and a Pug, Pig and a Pug.
that was uh, every time I listen to that commercial, it gets better and better. But Doesn't I, it though? I, yeah, I think it does. I think it does. It's like a uh, like a good cheese or a fine wine, something like that. It gets better with age, right? Because both of those things definitely do. That's right. And uh, not just <laughs> cheese and wine, but if you want quality soaps and other bath products, Pig <laughs> and a Pug, made right there in the dew-kissed Bitterroot Valley of Montana. So we are talking with the Half-Asked Podcast here on this episode of the Three Links Oddcast. And uh, they did an episode about the Oddfellows that uh, they kind of came upon randomly uh, doing some genealogy and finding out that they had Oddfellows in their family. And that kind of sent them down the rabbit hole of learning about our organization. So we reached out to them and they were kind enough to join us here on this episode. So what other kinds of questions do you have for us about the organization? I, I wanted to know, since I was doing the genealogy and ran across uh, some great-grandfathers, do you have a list of people or former members? Is there a way to find out what, like, even what their professions might have been? Or That's a good question for you, Ainsley, because I, I, you're usually the one who handles those inquiries for the website, right? Yes. So um, a lot of people do find us exactly like that by doing genealogical research. And of course they contact us through the website, which then goes to me wanting to know more about their ancestor. And then I have to point them in another direction. Uh, so what we do is we, each state or jurisdiction kind of holds onto their own big records and then the head head office, that's the national international office kind of has like the slimmed down version. So it's best to always contact the head lodge of your state to see if they happen to have anything. And the more information you have going into it, that will increase your chances of them being able to locate anything, be it like if you knew like a time frame, a lodge or a town that they were in, that will help narrow down the search a lot because unfortunately all our records are across the board being inconsistently stored. So one state or one grain lodge might have all their old, you know, membership records in file cabinets that are kind of alphabetized, but maybe not. Another one might just have just ledger books and ledger books in cardboard boxes in a storage shed. So, and then another one might be, you know, like uh, in an area that flooded, uh, like Toby had mentioned earlier. Um, for example, the original Sovereign Grand Lodge office building that was in Baltimore for, for many, many, many decades, they would, their basement would flood frequently. And so I would hear stories of, how all these, you know, early artifacts and records had been ruined because the basement of the office building would flood continuously. So there's probably a very slim chance that people will find information that they're looking for. However, that doesn't mean that there's zero chance. And the higher ranking their relative, the probably the better chance they're going to find something. So if that relative was a member of the Grand Lodge, like if they were a Grand Secretary or a Grand Master or something like that, 
there would probably be more chances of them finding photos and stuff like that versus maybe just finding a record of what their occupation, where their, you know, what their age was and et cetera, like that when they first joined. So it's a very mixed bag. None of it's digitized and it's, you know, kind of the, the worst kind of needle in a haystack treasure hunt that there is, Mm -hmm. but it's, the information may be there. It's just a matter of how do you find it? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. So it might be one of those things that it might require going and digging yourself or um, I don't know, just, yeah, getting involved in some way to find out for yourself that honestly sometimes is the best. Now, what, what state was your uh, family member in who was a member? That uh, was uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. That would be a bit of a challenge because as I mentioned during the break, uh, the Grand Lodge office was in Harrisburg by the river and they had a bad flood in the 1960s and wiped out a lot of records. Now, Justin Bailey, who's the Grand Secretary of Pennsylvania, he is amazing and he has done so much uh, to build Odd Fellowship in Pennsylvania Uh, and really kind of rejuvenate things, and he's reconstructed as many records as he can. Uh, But if you know things like the lodge that your great-grandfather belonged to uh, and the years in which he joined, uh, there's a possibility you might be able to find things. Now, by contrast, here in my state, Washington, Uh, We have most of our membership records. They're pretty complete. They're in a huge, beautiful old oak card file in the Grand Lodge office. And so if you have information, sometimes when the Grand Secretary is not busy with other things, she can look it up and find um, some information uh, like, uh, for example, our current Grand Master recently discovered that his grandfather who emigrated from England was an odd fellow and he did not know about that. It just Hmm. came up by chance that the grand secretary was looking something up and said, Hey, this is a familiar name. And lo and behold, turns out uh, that was the grandfather of the brother. Who's our current grandmaster, David Deloney. Wow. Perfect. Mm -hmm. I, I remember my question. Okay. Yeah. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so if I were to join an an electoralis or get initiated or be accepted, um, do you guys, do you guys still have cemeteries and could I volunteer to help take care of the cemetery? That is a wonderful question because (laughs) in your (laughs) lovely Commonwealth, they do still have cemeteries that are owned by the, either the lodges or the grand lodge. And the Tamaqua Cemetery right now is actually having a fundraiser. They're selling T-shirts to try to raise money. And they're doing a lot of work to try to get the cemetery cleaned up. So there is, I know for a fact, there is that cemetery right now that is in your jurisdiction. I don't know offhand how far that is from where you guys are. But I think think that's that's over Pennsylvania. I was going to say, I think that's in the Lehigh Valley that I think that's over on, on my end of the things. Um, But that's, you know, there are, yeah, there are cemeteries, but if you get a hold of the grand secretary, Justin, he will probably let you know if there's anything in your area 
or um, I do think that they also um, still have some in West Virginia, I believe. And uh, I think Texas has a couple. Um, I live really close to West Virginia and I love West Virginia. Yeah, the mountains right. are super cool. We're right on the border of West Virginia and Ohio. So yeah, like nice. we're, we're the little, the little stick. They have uh, one of the more active and well-known lodges in the country is there. Uh, Kanaha 25, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're in uh, Morgantown? Yeah, yeah, Kanawa 25 is in Morgantown. Yeah, Kanawa 25. Yeah, they're, they have their own park there. So members have yes. their own private park that they can go to. What? And this is sounding yes. better than <laughs> Every Every jurisdiction has different things, depending on where it is. Some um, of them have campgrounds. Yeah, in the wow. northeast, there's a, an Oddfellows camp called Camp Neofa, which is Northeast Oddfellows Association. Uh, oh. and I want to say that's in New Hampshire or Vermont, somewhere like that. Uh, John Miller's probably listening to this and cringing that I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, on the Pacific coast out here, our big draw for a lot of members is the Oregon dunes. The only private access that exists on the entirety of the Oregon dunes is the Jesse T. Jones Oddfellows Park. So uh, members here in the Pacific Northwest who want to do recreational things, they can go and reserve a spot at the campground there at the Oregon Dunes, and it's private access for members only. And uh, depending on the jurisdiction, I know California has a wonderful Oddfellows Camp up in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, um, Washington used to have a very nice Oddfellows Park that was on Camino Island, but because of our declining membership, nobody was using it, and so we ended up selling the park. But there, there are a lot of those things like parks, camps, recreational facilities uh, that various lodges and or jurisdictions have. Uh, again, here in Washington, our largest lodge, which is Olympia Number 1 in the state capital, they have their own private park right on Puget Sound with a view of Mount Rainier and everything. It is absolutely gorgeous there. Wow. And again, it's the kind of thing that members can use. Um, I know in Montana, they have a private park on the south end of Flathead Lake. Um, yep. And there's, there's all kinds of benefits like that uh, to membership because lodges and jurisdictions own a lot of cool stuff all around the country. Uh, for example, another thing that's not happening this year because of the pandemic, so hopefully they'll revive it next year, in Northern California, they do what's called the cave degree, which is where they put on the second degree of odd fellowship in a cave by the light of the moon. Cool. Yeah. What does that mean? A second degree? <laughs> I'm trying so hard not to like make any noises or anything because I just want you to be able to speak very clearly. But the next time we talk, I'm going to be a member. <laughs> <laughs> she's, so, she's, hard. she's trying not to geek out over here. Yeah. I just keep shaking awesome. my head and I'm like, oh, this is phenomenal. So the, 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 um, the lodges out here, are they named after like the, um, like the, the Indian tribes that were in the area? Like, is it Kanawa or? Well, or is it, that like an acronym? It, oh, it depends. 
Um, lodges can be named after anything. So Pennsylvania used to have more than a thousand lodges. Wow. So there were lodges named after the cities like Philadelphia, number one. Okay. Uh, that was pretty much uh, a given because uh, the first lodge was in Philadelphia. And then uh, like the lodge in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which they just had some pictures of the old lodge hall that were on Facebook with beautiful stained glass windows and all sorts of amazing architecture. Uh, I think that was named Carlisle number 92. Uh, some were named for the occupations of the people who joined. Uh, there's the, what is it? The Miner's Luck Lodge in Pennsylvania. Like um, <laughs> you know, in uh, somewhere in central Pennsylvania in coal country. Um, there were lodges related to the area. So um, Ambridge has a lodge. Shalara has a lodge. Uh, I think McKeesport has a lodge and those would all be named after those little towns there. Sometimes they were named after the founder of the town or a prominent citizen who is an odd fellow. Sometimes they'd be named for a local lake or a river or a mountain. It really depends. You can name a lodge after anything. We just did an episode a couple months ago with a group from Wyoming that rechartered the lodge that had been in the town of Thermopolis. Well, the original lodge name was Thermopolis number 26, but they said, we want to honor the guy who founded that lodge. So they named it George Sliney number 26. So you can <laughs> just name a lodge after anything. Yeah. That's super neat. So yeah. earlier you were, you told us to describe ourselves. And I was like, wow, I don't know what to say, say there. I'm a girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And yeah. I, um, I go camping all the time. I'm always outside. I volunteer at like national parks. I'm like, yeah, she does yeah. So everything that you've said speaks to her heart. Yeah. I'm super bummed. You have no idea. <laughs> you should, you should go back and check out the, the episode of this podcast we did in October of last year. We talked to Crescent City Lodge 73 in New Orleans because they are working to restore the Odd Fellows Rest, which is the famous Odd Fellows Cemetery in New Orleans with all of the above ground vaults and things like that. Um, and one of the members of that lodge who's working on that project is actually a, a cemetery conservation consultant. Uh, she has a group called Oak and Laurel. Uh, I think her website is oakandlaurel.com. Uh, and I believe her name is Emily Ford, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, and that's, that is one thing that we do. A lot of lodges, even if they don't still own their own cemetery, they will adopt a local cemetery and restore it, clean it up, uh, be the caretakers for it. Uh, because it's another way that we live out our creed of burying the dead, relieving the distressed, etc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's so cold. <laughs> Earlier you asked about the second degree and uh, our degree system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's explain a little of, bit I about that. I kind of understand that. what it is, but I don't also. Well, have you ever heard the term giving someone the third degree? Yes. <laughs> that comes from Odd Fellowship. Oh, I did not know that. And similarly, have you ever heard of being blackballed? Oh, my. Yep. 
That also <laughs> comes from Odd Fellowship. Now, uh, Brother Ainsley, would you like to uh, explain the voting process that gave rise to the term? <laughs> Absolutely. So um, one of the things that uh, is kind of a fun little throwback activity, because, and you guys would enjoy this being that you're, um, you have ancestors that are members uh, that were members if you join we do things pretty much exactly the same way they did it so you will literally be doing the exact same thing that they did and one of them is when balloting on a new member there is a procedure on how to do it and it involves a little wooden box of there's many different designs but usually there are two compartments one is the little secret compartment it'll have like a little lid that'll pop up and then there'll be a little cavity in the front that has a little hole and it's kind of blocked off in a way, kind of like now how like when you go and check out with your pin number, how it'll have like a little rubber thing around it so nobody can see your secret pin. It's kind of like that. So and in this front part where there's like the little little pole is um, you'll have options. You'll have either white spherical marbles or black balls which are actually in most cases cubes so i guess because when it's dark you know you're only got you know gaslight or candles in your lodge room because it's mm -hmm. you know 1887 and so you can't if you're fondling around in this box here to try to vote on somebody you want to make sure you grab the right thing so hence the ball and cube so when voting to to agree if everybody in the lodge got to vote if they wanted somebody to join so if a person, I don't know when the rule changed, but for a long time, if a person got two black balls, then they were not found favorable and they could not join for, I think it was like six months, then they could try again. Mm -hmm. But now it's a simple majority. But yeah, so being to be blackballed means that they, uh, the membership of the lodge did not find you worthy of, of joining. Yeah. So <laughs> but that's the origin of being blackballed as that's we still really do cool. it today yeah. Yeah. Nice. and it's it's fairly rare that someone would get blackballed because the process for joining a lodge is you fill out an application and you give it to a member of that lodge member turns the application into the lodge and then the noble grand who is the presiding officer of the lodge um, they appoint a committee to interview you the interviewing committee will sit down and talk with the applicant and say, Hey, why do you want to join? What do you want to do here? You know, uh, what do you think you can bring to odd fellowship? How do you think you would benefit? They ask questions, talk to the person in the event that, uh, they, they like the candidate and think that, uh, he or she would be a good member. They report to the lodge at the next lodge meeting and they say, We've interviewed this person. We think they would be a good member. And then the lodge votes, and it's a secret ballot. So nobody other than the noble grand and the vice grand are supposed to know uh, how the ballot turned out. So they just announce whether it's favorable or unfavorable. And then uh, the secretary calls you up and says, hey, you were elected to membership in the lodge. Show up at this time and place for your initiation. So usually if... A committee says, yeah, we don't think you're cut out to be a member. Um, they will report to the lodge and say, um, we do not find favorably. We don't think that this person 
should join. Now, that is extremely rare because most people who come to Odd Fellowship are interested enough that they're, they're willing to get in and do some things and be active and participate in the Lodge. But I do know of one instance in which someone wanted to join my home lodge in Seattle and they didn't want to contribute anything. They didn't want to help out with any of the activities that we did. They wanted to take advantage of the exercise room we had in the basement of the lodge. And he was very clear about that in his interview when he said, uh, I, you know, I don't really care what else you guys do. I want access to the basement for recreational purposes. And oh, the wow. interviewing committee said, <laughs> we don't think this is a member who's going to contribute. So now the degrees, what happens when you join the lodge is first you are initiated and that gets you in the door. That basically makes you into an odd fellow. They put a white collar on you at the end and say, hey, this is our new brother or sister. They introduce you, everybody claps, and then you continue on with the lodge meeting. But we have three degrees above that and each degree teaches a lesson. If you remember at the beginning of the episode, you asked, what do the letters FLT stand for? Each one of those represents one of the degrees of Odd Fellowship. So after you're initiated, the first degree that you take is the degree of friendship. And it teaches a very important lesson about why friendship is important and why you should be loyal to your friends. Once you've passed the first degree and you've, you've proven yourself in the work of the first degree, you remember the signs, grip, password, all of that stuff. Then you can take the second degree. The second degree is the degree of love. And that's a degree that teaches how important it is to have love for your fellow human being and how most importantly, you should be loving towards people who are different than you. That was a real point of contention uh, well, at many times in American history, but particularly when Odd Fellowship first came to North America in 1819, it was not long after the War of 1812. Things were very divisive following that, and so this idea that you should have charity and be willing to help people even if they were different from you, even if they had been your enemies recently, was a very radical concept at the time. So that's the degree of love. It teaches you how important it is to love people even if they're different from you. The third degree, and this is the big test of Odd Fellowship. This is where that phrase, giving someone the third degree comes from. That's the degree of truth. And it's a degree that teaches the importance of truth in everything that you do. Uh, I believe it's referred to as the cardinal virtue, the degree of truth. And so once you have taken your three degrees, you are a full member of the Odd Fellows. Uh, you can hold any office. You can participate and do anything. You can even go and visit sessions of your Grand Lodge, which is the jurisdictional or state level of the organization. So at the point that you've taken your three degrees, you have proven yourself as an Odd Fellow, and you can do all of the highest things in the order at that point. If I want to, so say I get accepted, okay, my first degree, and I'm going for my second degree. Can I go to the the Californian one underneath the moon? The <laughs> oh yeah, 
(laughs) And like I said, they're not doing it this year uh, because they, they didn't want to plan for it with the uncertainty of the pandemic, but there, there are actually in Pennsylvania, uh, you guys have some really cool stuff back there uh, that brother Justin Bailey and a few others helped to organize. Uh, They do degree rallies in different parts of the state. So you guys are in Western Pennsylvania. So um, next time there's a degree rally, maybe in West Virginia, Eastern Ohio, or Western Pennsylvania, what they will do is they'll take a whole day and they'll turn it into like a seminar where you get initiated first thing in the morning, then you take a little break, then you get to do the first degree, and then you get to do the second degree after that, you get to do the third degree. And one of the great things about that is all of the information that you gain is still fresh in your mind. So like when I did my degrees, I had to do them one at a time, two months apart. So when I took the first degree, I was trying to remember all the stuff from the initiatory degree to prove myself to be able to take the first degree. And that is a lot harder after two months Whereas when you get to do a degree rally, like in Pennsylvania, you can do initiatory and then a half hour later, the first degree. So you still have all of that stuff fresh in your mind. And then by the end of the day, your head is spinning. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to remember all these signs and grips and passwords and all the secret stuff. And, you know, what do I do if I go over here and go there? And um, it's a lot of information to take in when you first join. But if you participate regularly, uh, there are some lodges who do some really fun events. Down in Texas, there's a lodge in the town of Waxahachie, and they are super active. And they do, they ride mini bikes in the parades in town. Uh, and they have uh, various different events that they hold, social nights at different places. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the lodges in Western Pennsylvania, but uh, I'm uh, I will be sure and get you Brother Justin Bailey's email address so you can contact him, uh, and he can get you in touch with uh, one of the lodges. Because I talked to him and he says, yeah, there's a lot of lodges, uh, kind of in Western Pennsylvania, especially that southwest corner. Um, there's only one actually in the city of Pittsburgh, but there are a lot of others spread out all around in the suburbs and the countryside and places like that. So we can definitely get you hooked up with a lodge. All right. I might play the long game then. I'm not going to lie. Cause I want to get, I want to do the second degree in a cave underneath. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if you've already <laughs> taken your second degree at home in Pennsylvania, you can still go to the ceremony in California and participate. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. I'm all in. So. <laughs> and since the degrees are kind of like an interactive community theater, they might even recruit you to be in it. Yeah. There you go. That'd be sweet. Yeah. In fact, um, one of probably the most famous degree teams in all of odd fellowship is from Walker lodge in Philadelphia. Um, they're the ones who made uh, the official recording of the degrees that some lodges will use for candidates. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's in Philadelphia. So there's a Pennsylvania is a perfect state for Odd Fellowship because it is so active and there's so many cool things happening there. And they've got some gorgeous buildings. 
Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> There's so many beautiful oh, man. Oddfellows halls in Pennsylvania. They've got some gorgeous buildings. And some of them, there are five elderly members left hanging on to the building, trying to keep the lodge going, and they don't know how to get members. And they're just what, waiting for somebody like you. One of the All biggest right. challenges is when you get a lodge that gets down to just five or six elderly members and they don't really know anyone else in the community and their grandkids don't want to join, um, that is what causes the death of a lot of our lodges because they've fallen out of touch with what's going on in the community. Community doesn't know they exist. And so nobody thinks to ask the question, how can I join? Um, and that's one of the things that we try and do with this podcast is we hope that people will run across it and have the same reaction that you guys had, which is, this sounds great. Why aren't more people doing it? Mm-hmm. Is there on your website a list of all the lodges? Like I can put in my zip code and it tells me like the closest one. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That is something that is something that we are working on currently. Mm-hmm. We do not have it right now, but the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania website does have a lodge list of all their lodges. It's a little bit buried to get to it. It's a little bit funky on the mobile site to find it, but it is on the pencil the G L P A I O O F dot org. Yeah. Um they they do have all their lodges listed for uh for Pennsylvania and they they have a very nice website but for some reason it, it's kind of a little tricksy to get the the lodge directory to pop up it's kind of half buried down a page but um yeah we are working on that uh the the directory it's been a very um long for wish list long wished for <laughs> wish list item and because lodges close or change addresses and things like that, like frequently enough, it's hard for on a national level to accurately put something together without doing a lot of reverse double checking, which is kind of where it's at right now is doing reverse double checking to make sure accurate information is populating the list. So, yeah, but hopefully in the next yeah. year we'll have one. Yeah. That's good. Ainsley, you, you reminded me when I was doing research for our Oddfellows episodes, that was back several months. I was on the Oddfellows website mm-hmm. and I, I was like, where can I find all this information? Like it was so far back in that I actually remember then you said that it was kind of, you have to really search for it. Mm-hmm. I was Definitely. I got a lot of my information. Come on, guys. There's a secret society. They got some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly are. Uh, very big. Plus, like, part of the stuff. problem is that we're such a expansive, <laughs> widespread organization that it's hard to neat and tidily compact mm-hmm. kind of make a website that explains who we are and what we do mm-hmm. in a very kind of easily organized way because there's like so many facets of what the organization does that it's 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 a it's a big kind of mixed pot of oh well we have this living legacy program where we plant trees oh and we send kids to the united nations tour oh we do scholarships oh and we have cemeteries and oh we have old folks homes and yeah. orphanage programs and there's lot. just so many things that we do mm-hmm. that it's like 
one thing it's like like well what don't we do but all it's like it's hard to kind mm-hmm. of sum it up in a brief kind of nice way um but that's also why if you're looking for more resources that's why i made the link list website ask me i may know.com and that's just links with a little brief description of what the link so you're like i'm looking for books so you scroll down to the book section and there's links for books or if you're looking like oh here's like the blogs or the podcasts here's all that stuff so that was my way to at least somewhat kind of organize where to go to look for the information that is specific to what you're looking for because it, it it's hard to it is hard to navigate a large organizational web page that has a million different tabs that go to different places mm-hmm. you know what that's like a good area for like a an odd job you know like a, a web designer you might maybe we can like get our viewers <laughs> out <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you said that you'd like to do parks like yeah and cemetery oh yeah and oh my god i wouldn't mind doing cemeteries but i actually would love like i'm a geek where i'd love to look through old books and like put down everybody's names and like Oh, you would like send to me that dusty books. <laughs> 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 exactly. That's my thing. Like, I'll don't let Justin Bailey hear you say that. He <laughs> will put we you got some there in pencil. Water, water, yeah. cardboard boxes full yeah. of papers. I was going to say, yeah. if you want to play with like mm-hmm. boxes of like 200 year old documents and books, oh, and I would be in that's, heaven. Yeah. Well, that's also <laughs> one of the fun things. I mean, for me, I think mm-hmm. this is one of the fun things about Odd Fellowship that isn't maybe carried to the same extent across the fraternal spectrum is the living history aspect of odd fellows because so much of since we have secret society ourselves to death there's not a lot of stuff out there for us to buy that's being currently produced or new so everything we pretty much use is the old stuff so when we put on the degrees we use stuff that's like a hundred plus years old like we're, we're we're literally like putting on antiques, like antique garments and robes and playing with antique props and backdrops and whatever, however fancy you get with it. Like we're literally using the old stuff or like the regalia that we wear is, is the old stuff or um, uh, like the ring I wear, I got it off of eBay. This is probably like a hundred year old ring. I wear it every day. Um, perfect prime example is Toby. Um, I'm going to make you wheel out the pin. Okay. Wheel out the pin Show for everybody. Pin. <laughs> Whoa. This is my past grand master's jewel. Uh, in 2018 and 19, I served as grand master of the grand lodge of Washington. And that means I was basically the state president. So the presiding officer, uh, for those, for that year, and this particular jewel was first given to a grandmaster in Washington in 1919. It went to F.C. Graham, and then his family returned it to the Grand Lodge after he passed. It was reissued to past grandmaster Marshall Miller in 1969. And then uh, when I was past grandmaster in 2019, Marshall gave the jewel to me. So I have a past grandmaster jewel that's over a hundred years old, and I'm the third past grandmaster to hold it. And hopefully, I live to see the year 2069, and I can give it on to the next past grand. You just gotta hold on to it for another 50 years. <laughs> yeah. So what? I'll be 95 years old. They can just wheel me into the room there, and I'll <laughs> past grandmaster. 
but that's one of the things I love is the living history of it. Yeah, that yeah. we have this legacy of of passing down these items, partially because it gives that item more meaning. The more that of history it is able to accumulate through the different hands of the members, because on the back of the jewel, it's even got their names engraved, which is really like that's oh, wow. that's your proof. That's how that's your receipt. That's how you know it's the real deal. Wow. And so by using these items, like a lot of times I'll, you know, get the emails through the website. Somebody's like, oh, I found my grandmother was a Rebecca and I found a box full of jewelry. Where do I send it? I'm like, if you send it to the Rebecca assembly, they'll either, you know, redistribute it or whatever. Like we put the stuff back into use. Sometimes it might just sit in a drawer in the office, but a lot of times it'll sit in the drawer until somebody from a lodge calls up and they're like, Hey, I need five 25 year pins. I've got a bunch of members that are, you know, just made it 25 years. They'll open the drawer and they'll just pick out the pins and those pins might be a hundred years old. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really kind of a fun aspect of the organization, which is also like, you know, back when I was saying how it's kind of hard to sum it up in a nice little tidy package, like little things like that. Like if you're into the old stuff, if you're into old oh, books, yeah. oh man, old books and odd fellowship are like mm-hmm. peas and carrots. Like, <laughs> so like, it, yeah. <laughs> so like old books, um, old, just mm. folk art, like just artwork that members make that is folk art, you know, like little cabinets or boxes or little whimsies of like take a stick and they carve it into a chain. So it's like little, and it's amazing what our members have made over the years. Quilts, like huge quilting tradition. Um, And like, if you're into textiles, you know, like the regalia is a huge draw for some people because it's just a beautiful textile object that are, you know, you have 200 years of textiles there to study um, just artwork, art history. Um, there's, it's just a lot of really fun things. If you're in a theater, you know, you could participate in the degrees. If you want to learn how to run a meeting, cause you want to own your own or not own, but like run your own nonprofit someday. It's a proving ground to learn how to do that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, if you want to get better at public speaking, cause you're, you know, you want to do a Ted talk someday. And don't you forget know. our uh, wonderful treasure trove of internationally famous tattoo artists who are odd fellows. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we have a whole network of tattooers. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any odd? I'm sure you do. Odd fellow tattoos. I do. Yeah, I have two, actually. I have um, a little guy getting um, one of the jokes about initiation is um, that you're going to have to ride a goat. So I have a little tattoo on my ankle of a candidate getting bucked off a goat. And then I have a somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love goats. I'm almost falling up your ankle. Well, there you go. We are goat friendly. Um, if you, whenever somebody joins, is there like a monthly fee or are you expected to do a certain amount of service to the lodge? How's that measured? It depends on the lodge. Uh, in most jurisdictions, and I, I would say probably all jurisdictions, you pay an initiation fee to join. So in Washington, it's $25 initiation fee, and then you pay annual dues after that. 
each lodge sets its own annual dues. So it varies from lodge to lodge how much you have to pay to be a member of that lodge. Uh, my home lodge in Seattle is $50 a year. There's some lodges here in Washington that's $60, some are $80. Most of them are $50. Um, and then as a member, you can do as much or as little as you want. Some members just like to say that they're odd fellows. They never show up to meetings. They just pay their dues every year, get their dues card in the mail, and that's fine. Some members are really active. They're always volunteering for lodge events. And there's a huge variety of events that lodges do. Some lodges organize a lot of social events. Uh, some do a lot of charitable events. Um, one of the other Oddfellow podcasts out there, Modern Goat Rider, they did an interview with the Noble <laughs> Grand of uh, Chequeck Lodge number 58, which is in Valparaiso, Indiana. And they are constantly doing these charitable projects, uh, collecting school supplies for schools, uh, collecting food for the food bank, um, you know, feeding the homeless and all kinds of things. Well, if you're a member, um, it is hoped that you would participate in those kind of things. So it depends on what the lodge does. Um, some lodges get together regularly for poker nights where they play poker. Some lodges, um, like in Victoria, BC, there's a group that does the polar bear plunge together every year. Um, it I'm just out of depends. that one. No. <laughs> it all depends on what that particular lodge likes to do. And unfortunately, there are some lodges that are mostly moribund and they don't do anything. They meet twice a month. They, they have cake afterwards and they go home and they just sit there and keep counting the interest that adds up in their bank accounts. So if you join a lodge, you could have a whole range of different experiences from, wow, this is great. These people are always doing fun things to, oh, it's five elderly men who complain about how much the world has changed twice a month on Tuesday afternoons. <laughs> Five, five elderly men and a goat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that could be a sitcom. <laughs> yeah, good. But definitely like the, if, if going in with an open mind, knowing that you're going to see probably like a little, like a tiny little bit of a shit show, but embracing it. And that goes a long yeah. way. If, if you're going in like expecting like, this to be a polished put together like um experience then odd fellows is probably not the organization <laughs> for you <laughs> but if you're looking for something that's a little a little wacky um a little bit of like how does this exist <laughs> And it's a, like, there was an article online that says it's like a little Wes Anderson-y, and I really love that. It's kind of like a little David Lynch-y, Wes Anderson, like, alternate universe, because right. you're, you're going to see, like, <laughs> it's I like, you're going to see a bunch of elderly people that really care about something mm -hmm. way more than you think they should. And you're like, why do these people care so much? And then you kind of keep coming back because you're trying to figure it out. And then you <laughs> start figuring sweet, out what it is. And it's like, yeah. you know what? 
I hope when I'm 90 years old that I'm this excited to go somewhere and climb these stairs and yeah. put on this put on this outfit and walk around this room. And so- that's I think that's, you know, I th- I think for me that's kind of one of the lessons I took I took away from it that I wasn't expecting is that this is something that I can do literally until I die. It's not something I need to worry about being too old for or infirm for, or like, cause like, you know, for tattooing, like I know there's an expiration date on my back. I don't know what that date is, but I know it'll come someday and I won't be able to do my, I won't be able I physically will not be able to do my job anymore. And that's kind of a big sad sort of scary thing. Cause mm-hmm. that's a big part of my it identity. Is. But if I have this other aspect of my identity that, I don't ever have to worry about losing. That's very, I mean, for me, that's very comforting. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have like a church or anything like that. I belong to, mm-hmm. I don't have, you know, children. So I kind of needed a kind of an external family sort of thing that kind of gave me a focus and structured socializing in a way that kind of, it keeps you, it, it, it at least in, in my case, it's like I, it, it creates a space for me to try to be a better person and to practice being that better person in a safe, controlled manner until I get the hang of it and then can bring it to the outside world. That's good. Aw. That's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> that is sweet. Uh-huh. So I, have, I have a question. So if, okay. I join, if I join the lodge and... It's five old guys and they're complaining about the world. <laughs> and and I, I, I noticed that there's a lodge over on the hillside that's like planting trees. Am I, should I, would, I, would I jump lodges or would I just volunteer or like, how would that work? Get them old men planting trees. Let <laughs> <laughs> like, Toby take that one. <laughs> there are actually uh, a couple of answers to that question. Um, if you belong to one lodge and you want to do things with another lodge, just call them up and say, hey, I see you're doing this. I'm from this other lodge. I'd love to join you on that activity. And most likely you'd be very welcome. I know I have volunteered with other lodges when they're doing something that I really enjoy. Uh, Likewise, you can take what's called an associate membership. So your primary membership is in uh, Grumpy Old Man Lodge number 68. Uh, But you can take an associate membership in another lodge where you have a regular membership you just don't pay the same amount of dues so if it's 50 in your home lodge it might be 20 or 30 in the associate lodge then you can vote on things and uh, do all of the activities that that lodge does Um, so you have a couple of options there and if you find that it's just not working at your home lodge and you only want to participate in the other lodge, you can apply for a transfer certificate, which allows you to switch lodges. And might I just say that those yearly dues are less than an Amazon Prime membership. So that's like very manageable. (laughs) And Odd Fellowship is very affordable as fraternal orders go. You know, there are some where the dues are 500 a year and those are very expensive lodges to belong to but odd fellowship comes from the tradition of very much lower income working people helping each other out so we try and make sure that everything that we do is affordable and approachable for people 
That's definitely the, the bracket that I belong in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, we've pretty much answered all your questions here. You have been wonderful uh, about answering all of our questions. Uh, guys, do you have any more questions for our guests here before we wrap it up? Well, I think it'd be awesome if we circled back for a future episode after maybe one or more of you decides to come and become members and then we could have a little recap and see if you have been able to do any of those uh, projects that you've been wanting to do, like help out at the cemetery. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. I'm committing. Okay. I'll come back. I'll hold you to it. Pete looks so tired. <laughs> I am tired. He's got a, he's got a new, new baby. Newborn. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. He's seven weeks old. Ah, Ooh, new, new baby. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and a very active toddler as well. Yeah. So. One day yeah. you'll rediscover sleeping through the night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it gets worse because my wife, she's up all several times throughout the night. I'm, I'm up once or twice. She's yeah. Much more often. Well, Christopher, did you have any more questions for our guests here? I think I'm all right. Excellent. Well, we're going to wrap up the show. Um, first of all, we have uh, a little news tip here for our listeners. There is a new book about Odd Fellowship that was just published. Woo! <laughs> Ainsley, you want to tell our listeners about it? I would love to. So hopefully everybody who's listening is already well aware of the Heart and Hand blog, oddfellowsguide.com. And the co-founder, Scott Moy, has published a new book on Odd Fellowship. It is called Think Like an Odd Fellow. Just go on Amazon and type in Think Like an Odd Fellow, or you could just type in Odd Fellows and you'll find it. It's got a green cover. And what he has done is it's a series of essays that are taking nods from some of the old classical writings from the 19th century on Odd Fellowship. And he kind of dissects them down and reinterprets them through a modern 21st century lens. So that way we could dig deeper into the philosophy and the lessons of the order that go a little bit deeper than what we get during the lecture portion of the degrees and kind of really get back into the spirit and the philosophy and the personal self-improvement aspect of being an odd fellow. And so he worked really hard on it over the past year or so. And um, I think there's about 42 different sections in there. It doesn't need to be read in order. You could skip around. And I've, um, I picked up my copy earlier this week. I've only read a little bit of it so far and I'm really impressed. And I think it's definitely a book that, any anybody can get something out of, but especially if you're a member, young, old, whatever. Um, if you're looking to kind of get back into the spirit of Odd Fellowship, if you kind of gotten out of touch with it because of you know being away from Lodge for a year, or you're just looking for a new perspective to get re-energized to bring back to your Lodge now that things are kind of opening back up again, and you kind of want to hit the ground running, uh, think like an Odd Fellow is definitely something you should pick up it's like 16 bucks totally worth it it's on amazon go get it now 
That's right. Get your copy right now, everybody. We we need to make sure that Scott gets enough royalties off of this book that he can retire comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good goal. Yeah. <laughs> or or at least buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks or something, you know. Exactly. <laughs> All right, and that takes us to our odd podge. Uh, this is the section where we share whatever we feel like, whether it is related to odd fellowship or not. So, who wants to go first on the odd podge? Christopher, do you have anything for us for the odd podge today? I have absolutely nothing. Today. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. Not even a snack question. Not even a snack question. Not even a snack question. I'm Fellow feeling quite un unlike myself. Well, we'll let you tease the uh, upcoming episode at the end, because that's the one where we're going to the museum rededication. Uh, for me, for the Odd Podge, uh, I want to share that uh, I am actually back and performing again, like out in the real world where crowds can show up and hear me play music. So this past weekend, I had five shows across three days, uh, three of those were playing country music at a county fair. One of them was French music for a sidewalk cafe event, and I played one bar mitzvah. <laughs> wow. That's diverse. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, as an accordionist, I take any gig that I can get. That's so cool. <laughs> my, dad, my dad played an accordion, so oh, I grew up with very few people play the accordion, so as soon as you said that, I was like, what? Yes, and in fact, yeah. uh, I am going to have uh, an accordion at Sovereign Grand Lodge this year, so I will do at least a little bit of the, the music for Sovereign Grand Lodge on the accordion. Nice. So, Ainsley, what do you have for our Odd Podge? So, I was going to do the book for Scott as the Odd Podge, but we already mentioned that, so I'm just going to have a like kind of a weird little anecdote that I just felt like sharing. So this Saturday, we had our first act of vandalism on our little odd pantry. Oh, no. Um, the vandal took all of our lodge flyers and set them ablaze and stuffed them into the back of the pantry. However, they failed to plan because when you shut the door of the pantry, it cut off the supply of oxygen. So it snuffed itself out. So we were very fortunate that they failed in their dastardly plan. And our little odd pantry just had to get some food thrown out and a couple spritzes of some uh, white spray paint to cover over the scorch marks. And it was back in action again. Now, for the benefit of our guests, uh, tell us again about your lodge and the little free pantry. So, um, I'm sure you guys have probably seen on Facebook the movement of the little free pantries where uh, yeah. people are putting these kind of small box things around their towns that people can either drop food off at or pick food up if they need it. And so um, we had a sister that we interviewed, Stacy Thomason, and her lodge in Oregon has a little pantry. And so I was like, that's a real good idea. So we done took that idea. And we made our own little pantry and it's been up for several months and it's gotten a ton of use. And yeah, so it is a small way to 
make an easy way for people in our little town to have access 24-7 to free food if they need it, if they're food insecure. And it helps spread word about Odd Fellowship. And it's just yeah. something nice Wonder. to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we have like those book libraries, but we, we don't have a pantry one. That is well, so cool. The church, up, the church up the road, they have a little box. I just noticed that one up about a month ago or two months ago. And I think you could just take canned goods up there. and Oh, my god! You could drop yeah. something off or you could pick something up, but it's in the parking lot. There's a I church like, in my neighborhood that has it too. That's so cool. I always mm-hmm. have extra food that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to eat this. Mm-hmm. Like right now I'm on a diet where I can't have anything with sugar in it. And I'm like, I have all this sugar. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like our pantry has, uh, for example, like our pantry is uh, the kids uh, baby food formula is pretty popular uh, that comes in and out of it. Um, we get a lot of beans, um, but yeah, like basically anything that's like a canned or boxed staple food item uh, or, you know, sugar, flour, things like that. Probably not so much sugar in the summer because the ants would probably like that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. <laughs> probably in the colder months, the sugar would be a better option. Formula is expensive. That's yeah. really yeah. good looking at. Yeah. 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 Well, I have, I have a question for Christopher. Yeah. He said that he, uh, he found the odd fellows by collecting things. He collects weird things. And I was curious what weird things he collects. What's the weirdest thing? Yeah. <laughs> Is it too weird to talk about? generally something that people aren't interested in so now i feel like i've been asleep for a really long time and i'm not quite sure what day it is um <laughs> uh I, so by trade i'm a wildlife biologist and oh, okay. uh for some time i'm i had like literally hundreds of animals uh in jars you know for for study or for decoration however you want to look at it and yeah, so like t- kind of the people that tend to collect those kind of things, both professionally and also non-professionally, tend to be into collecting other weird things as well. Um, I had a pretty nice collection of human skulls at one point, and like you sort of you, you it it's a slippery slope once you start collecting <laughs> things like that. You know, were you in the skull and bones? Uh, I I didn't go to Yale. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are are there any other questions or anything that our guests would like to share? If you want like an odd, odd posh thing, like I yeah. give you a random fact, okay. <laughs> like a, an alleged fact. So supposedly lemon balm will ward off mosquitoes. So I planted a bunch of lemon balm and the mosquitoes have gone away from my house. Oh, yeah. Pete would need to know that because yeah, his backyard is lemon balm. That's sad. That was a good one. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like a, like a citronella hack kind of thing. Yeah. But it's nice. like a, just like a, but it isn't, it's kind of like fast growing and kind of invasive. So it's better to plant it in pots or else it'll like, it'll grow up oh. everything. Go too good. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I have a weird, weird fact. All so right. Last last week, I was on my porch, and I live in the middle of the woods. So I noticed this baby hummingbird, and I sent it out to my family, and I said, "Oh, cool! Look at this little baby hummingbird." And I never saw it before. Nobody said anything. I mean, everybody was like, "Oh, cool!" And I walked in my backyard last week, down in the backfield. And I, I saw like four, they're all the same size. I'm like, this is not a hummingbird. I looked it up. It's called a hummingbird moth. <gasps> you might have hummingbirds. Oh. Have you guys ever heard of that before? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it looks like a large bee. 
I just thought it was a blurry picture. <laughs> 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 it looks like a large beat. Yeah, I was really bad at the video. But You're shaking. Yeah. If only we I had mean, a wildlife biologist on the show that we could <laughs> talk about. Oh, oh my hey, Christopher. <laughs> How convenient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one has ever said having me around was convenient until now. So that's, that's nice. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank all of you uh, from the Half Ask podcast for joining us here and telling us about your journey to how you discovered that the odd fellows exist. Our next episode is going to be recorded live on location at the rededication of the Idaho Odd Fellows Museum in Caldwell, Idaho. Christopher and I are packing up the Three Links Oddcast in the trunk of the Buick and taking it on the road. So I want to thank everybody for participating tonight. And uh, listeners, be sure you tune in to that next episode because it's going to be a good one. We're going to be interviewing various odd fellows and Rebecca's in Idaho, and we're going to be there and participate in the museum rededication and donate some items for their time capsule. Ooh, but don't tell them what it is because we we got to make sure they listen. Yeah, because and, yeah. and in fifty years, we we want the. Uh, the people digging stuff up in Southern Idaho to go, what the heck was that? What is this? Is this some kind of a cult? What are these people doing? It says listen to the podcast from this day. Yeah. What's a What's podcast, a pod? Grandpa? Oh, little Timmy, let me tell you about podcasts. Back before we knew the internet gave us brain cancer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us and thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>